In Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And today, I have the privilege of being joined by two whiskey experts. First, Connor O'Driscoll, who's the master distiller at Heaven Hill Distillery. Connor, thanks so much for your hey, time. Zach, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And second of all, but certainly not least of all, Bernie Lovers, who's the brand ambassador for Heaven Hill Distillery. Bernie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Zach. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so, Bernie, let's actually uh, start out with you. Um, what's a little bit of your background in the whiskey industry? How did you kind of come to this uh, current role? And, and what, what do you do as the brand ambassador for Heaven Hill? <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> my boss has been trying to figure that out for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're not listening. You're good. <laughs> so I came to the industry in 2005. And at that time, you know, it it was not um, the darling of the spirits world that it is today. Um, and so basically the industry needed somebody to be able to stand up in front of people and talk a little bit about the products. And um, that was my background. So my background before I got into this industry was I was a touring national stand-up comedian. So I was able to stand up in front of people and talk and tell a story. And so uh, that's kind of was my uh, bona fides, I guess you will, uh, for, for having that. And of course, I wanted to learn more. I was born and raised here in Kentucky. My parents both drank bourbon. Everybody has a little Kentucky bourbon knowledge. Whether it's right or wrong, it's what your, your parents <laughs> told you. And um, then I, I realized um, that it was, a it, it, you know, who wouldn't want to talk about you know, bourbon and the stories are fascinating. And the, and the more people you meet and the families you meet, the distilling families, the personalities, it's endless. And, 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 and you can never learn enough. You can always, you can never say, Hey, I'm the total expert because it's, you're not, you're, you're an expert on certain things and it's just a great industry. So I've, you know, been in it uh, since 2005 and I've been in heaven Hill now for 10 years as their uh, whiskey ambassador, and it's just a, a wonderful ride. Fantastic. Now, Connor, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess you perhaps were not born in Kentucky. <laughs> no. Little... But can you tell us a little bit about <laughs> your background in whiskey and, and distilling? Sure, yeah. So I, you're right. I grew up a little further east. Uh, grew, <laughs> born and raised in Dublin, went to school there, uh, started out as a chemical engineer. And it's a, it's a long, twisty road that brought me to bourbon. But I got into the business in 2004, right before Bernie did. And um, the short version is I thought it would be fun. It's I, I was tired of Petrocam and things like that. And, you know, this bourbon thing, I'd started to drink bourbon and enjoyed it. And uh, I was like, well, this seems more fun. And it turns out I was right. I've, you know, like uh, almost 19 years in the business now. And it continues to be fun just about every day. And I, I have to ask because, you know, we, we occasionally on this podcast have the chance to talk to people who, who have this kind of job. But if you can just maybe in a in a minute or so summarize like what does a master distiller do because obviously at a distillery like Heaven Hill you've got a lot of people who are working on distillation but what is it kind of that's specifically you know your job so my my day job my full title is distillery manager slash master distiller so first okay. job day you know, my my day job is to run the distillery and I'm sitting now at the at the Bernheim Distillery in downtown Louisville it is one of the world's largest single site bourbon distilleries. We produce over 1,500 barrels a day, and we can go into all the, all the numbers, but to do that, the, the, the one that blows most people's minds once they get past the 1,500 barrels is that we mill over 1.1 million pounds of grain every single day. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty mind-boggling. So up, up to 25, you know those semis of grain you see going down the highway, up to 25 of those mm-hmm. a day. So the job is to, is to run the distillery efficiently and safely uh, and to make 
high quality, consistent distillate. And again, mm-hmm. that's that's job one. And then the, the master distiller part, I guess I get that because I've been in the business 19 years making whiskey. But, um, you know, that part of the job is what we're doing here. You know, it's podcasts, it's, uh, you know, doing tastings and education and, you know, just spreading the gospel. Absolutely. So, Brittany, let's talk a little bit about the history of Heaven Hill. What is some of the, the history here and, and kind of what is uh, Heaven Hill's kind of legacy? Yeah, well, Heaven Hill started in 1935. And if you go back into your Wayback Machine with Mr. Peabody and Sherman, you'll know that that's right <laughs> at the end of Prohibition. And so we had this family of five brothers, uh, the Shapira family. And they, their business, they owned uh, department stores around in smaller little cities in Kentucky, like, uh, um, like, like Bardstown and like Lebanon, like, uh, uh, different little, little city Springfield. They had these department stores. Mm-hmm. And so their business was not affected by prohibition whatsoever. Now they still were in the depths of the depression. Sure. But, you know, department stores, people needed a shirt, they needed a pair of pants, they needed shoes. So they did, they were, they, they, they managed their business very well. And there were some folks that wanted to get into the distilling business because they had been forced out of the business with prohibition for 14 years. So they went around looking for investors to start a new distillery in Bardstown, Kentucky. So these uh, group came to the five Shapira brothers and uh, as Max Shapira, uh, the second generation uh, owner and now executive chief, said, I don't know why my dad and four uncles did it because it didn't make any sense. <laughs> but they were young. This was an exciting proposition. This was a a bet, a gamble, if you will, but something they were willing to, to do. And they uh, they uh, they invested, uh, you know, uh, they've got 20, 20 plus thousand dollars which is a lot of money to me today. Yep. And can imagine in 1935, they took a deep breath and they were excited and they got into the business. And so we've been, uh, we made our first barrel on December 13th, 1935. And that was a Friday. So Friday the 13th is very lucky for us. And we haven't, and now we've grown the business over the decades through the, through the good times and the bad. And there's been most, you know, been a lot of bad times in, in the, in American whiskey and bourbon world, not because the bourbon was bad, just because of the market and what was going on. And here we are, one of the leaders uh, in the industry today uh, under the same leadership of the family that still owns and operates the business to this very day. That's very, a beautiful thing is yeah that consistent, heritage, I suppose, of ownership and connection to the founding. So, Connor, I've got a bottle of the seven-year bottle and bond Heaven Hill uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey in front mm-hmm. of me. What is this? So it is, uh, it's made from our traditional HH reg mash bill, Heaven Hill regular mash, mash bill, 78% corn, 10% rye, 12% malted barley. So a very traditional mash uh, bourbon mash bill. Uh, it is one of our newer products, but it pays great homage to our history as as a bourbon distiller, not just for a, quote regular bourbons, but also the the, the bottle and bond subcategory. Um, at seven years old and a hundred proof, it is a 
big, rich, delicious whiskey, full of complexity, um, delicious to drink, you know, neat on the rocks, makes a great cocktail if that's the way you choose, but just a perfect sip in whiskey. Connor, let's talk a little bit about what bottled and bond means, because I will confess uh, an embarrassing oversight in my general, you know, knowledge of bourbon is I've never been super clear on what that means. You know, you see that on a label sometimes, uh, but it's hard to know sometimes whether, you know, what that signifies, what it might mean about the production and the product inside. So can you talk a little bit through what, what bottled and bond even means? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, so all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. We all know that. So um, bourbon is a subset of whiskey. And then bottle and bond is a subset of, uh, well, distilled spirits, but obviously specifically we're talking about, about bourbon today. So um, there's a number of rules that you got to follow to call your whiskey bourbon. And then there's a whole separate set of rules that you got to follow to call it bottle and bond. And the, um, the, the whole bottle and bond thing started in 1897 with the Bottle and Bond Act. And it was the first consumer safety legislation that uh, the, the government brought out. Um, and prior to it, there were no rules defining what whiskey was. And you had these rectifiers and blenders and whatever they call themselves, mixing who knows what kind of poison and selling it as whiskey. So people were getting sick, people were dying, and the government said we need to do something about this and came up with the Bottle and Bond Act that defined a very clear set of uh, rules that distillers had to follow uh, to call their whiskey Bottle and Bond. And uh, it had to be made by a single distiller in a single distilling season, which is either the first half or the second half of the year. Uh, it, the only thing you can add to it uh, as you're bottling it is pure water. It has to be bottled at uh, exactly 100 proof. Uh, it's got to be at least four years old, and it's got to have the name of the distillery and the, and the license number of the distillery clearly on it. Um, so you're a consumer in 1897. You go to the liquor store, if they had them in those days, and you see you know shelf after shelf of rot gut, and then you see bottle and bond, and you know it's going to be good whiskey. So right from the get-go, it was a signifier of super high quality, the best of the best. Um, and obviously, food safety laws, liquor safety laws, et cetera, et cetera, have caught up with uh, the Bottle and Bond Act over the last almost 100 years now, or over 100 years. And, uh, you know, but it's still, it still has that cachet of being the best of the best. So, you know, knowing that Heaven Hill as a distillery produces um, a fair number of bottle and bond products, you know, does that give you um, kind of more experience, more comfort level in producing this specific bourbon? Like how, what is, what is the bottle and bond program like at Heaven Hill? So, um, and you're right, we are, you know, the, uh, the industry leader, I think. Um, Nationally, there are probably uh, 20 maybe uh, bottle and bonds available, you know, in every state. Uh, there's probably some local ones that would bump that number up, but um, let's say 20 nationwide and we produce 12 or 13 of them. So just wow. yeah, by sheer volume, we're, we're leader. And again, you know, our reputation for, you know, high quality, reasonably priced whiskeys, uh, you know, speaks to that as well. Um, so, I mean, every part about this job, uh, you know, my role in this job is just, you know, the, the standing on the on the shoulders of giants and, you know, being part of this wonderful 87-year history. And, yeah, those those legacy brands that we have um, in, the, in our bottle and bond portfolio, 
and that have led to this current one, the Heaven Hill seven-year-old. I mean, it's just being part of of that that stream and you know just continuing to get better and you know, improve every day with what we do and produce just stellar whiskeys. I mean, that's, I talked about it being fun. That's, that's a, a huge part of the fun right there. And as the, as the distillery and as the distiller, I want to kind of ask you, how do you kind of feel like you get to a point where you go, Hey, this is uh you know, this distillate, whether it's uh, maybe not at the moment it's coming off the still, but at some point in the maturation process, this really is, you know, the best of the best. What does that look like uh, in in process? Got it. So, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier how like my, my job is to make high quality, consistent distillate. Um, I don't actually make brands of whiskey here. I don't make, you know, uh, but, but the, 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 uh, the distillate's coming off the still today. None of us know if it will be seven-year-old Heaven Hill, Bottle and Bond, or really any one of our other brands. Um, we let the, we let the maturation do its thing, and then we let the whiskey tell us what it's going to be. Now, you know, we're strategic about where we put our barrels. We have a, we have 1.9 million barrels aging right now. We have over, yes, it's a lot of whiskey. Um, it's about 20% of all the bourbon uh, in the world is ours. Uh, and we have 60-something warehouses that are, they're big, they're small, they're new, they're old, they're in the city, they're in the country, they're made of brick and concrete, they're made of wood and tin. So they're all these different configurations. And as we put our barrels away, obviously we're strategic about where we put them, knowing that this distillate might become this product. But mostly we, we wait and we let the whiskey tell us what it wants to be. Uh, if it's if it's ready at, at four years old, then it might become Evan Williams. Uh, if it's spectacularly good at seven years old, then we're going to say, all right, this is spectacularly good. Um, we're going to make sure that when we build a, a batch of Heaven Hill's seven-year-old bottle and bond, we're going to make sure it meets all the rules. So it's from a single, it's at least four years old. So this is seven years old, checks that box. It's from a single distillery. Bingo, we got that one. Um, and then, you know, the, the first half of the second half of the year and you know, when you have as many barrels in inventory as we do, it's you know that it's easier for us to do that than maybe some small startup. But as it's maturing, then obviously we're checking it, and we have uh, we have a team called the organoleptic testing team or the sensory team. Um, your listeners probably would refer to that as day drinking team. But, <laughs> and we have some we have some spectacularly good tasters on staff uh tony goatee is probably the, the 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 best of the best of the best of them and you know the the the, the sensory team we we build these batches we select barrels and you know, I, I don't taste every barrel you know and i'm not sure anybody does but um you know we've got some some people whose job it is to help build these uh build these batches and if it's good enough to be Heaven Hill's seven-year-old, it's good enough to be Heaven Hill's seven-year-old. That's very cool. Brittany, I want to ask you a question about the bottle and bond category, because I think Connor gave us a great kind of overview of the history. And he mentioned that, you know, perhaps now 120 plus years later that people are slightly less likely to, um, you know, get a, a, well, I shouldn't say slightly less. They're not going to get a, a batch of whiskey that is, you know, sort of uh, unhealthy in a, you know, additive sense. But what is the what is the sort of relevance maybe not in terms of meeting technical definitions but but in a in a world of bourbon that is um 
you know, there's a lot of brands out there. There's a lot out there. And, you know, I think it's it's no big secret that a lot of bourbon and a lot of whiskey generally um, is produced one place and then maybe aged another place, bottled another place, blended another place. Like, what is what do you see the relevance in the you know to kind of consumers and, and people in the industry of, of that bottled and bond label beyond the sort of basics of production? Sure. So as Connor alluded to in his uh, response on bottle and bond, you know, in 1897, it was important to know if, if it was pure because you can only add pure water only to get it down to mm-hmm. exactly 100 degrees of proof. So right there, you're guaranteed a purity and a good strength and then the good age of at least four years old. So the purity was important because, as he said, there were some safe and unsafe ingredients being added to just neutral grain spirits. And then they would, you know, put maybe strong coffee or tea into it for a color and flavor. They might be adding uh, juices, but they also might be adding like battery acid and tobacco spit and different things, which necessarily don't want. So you were guaranteed that purity. And that was important in 1897. And Purity, strength, and authenticity is important today. Today, there. So, I'll just give you a reference, uh, Zach. When I started in 2005, there were 12 distilleries in total in the uh, Kentucky and the United States. Ten distilleries in Kentucky, one in Indiana, and one in Virginia. Today, there are 70 distilleries in Kentucky and over 2,300 around the country. Yep. So that's explosive growth. Of those 2,300 distilleries, not all of them make and uh, produce and age and sell their own whiskeys. A lot of them source it. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you have bottled and bond, it's all right there. And you know who made it. You know where it was made. You know how long it was aged. And you know uh, how pure it is. And uh, in a time where the consumer's tastes have changed and now they want older and stronger products in their, in their whiskeys in American whiskeys and bourbon and rice, this delivers. And, you know, on that note, you know, you mentioned Bernie, the, the desire for older and stronger whiskey, and obviously a seven year bottled and bond um, is going to be deliver presumably on both of those counts. But I'm also curious, you know, the bottle and bond heaven Hill bottle has existed before, what makes this special and why does it bear the, the distillery's name? Well, this was the original name of the distillery. It was Old Heaven Hill Springs Distillery. And so having that name, it was the William Heaven Hill Farm. And that's mm-hmm. why we're called Heaven Hill. Now, the, the words Heaven Hill have been split off. And there's a there's a, even a lore, if you will, or story of the family of how that happened. Um, but we ended up with the two names, uh, the two words Heaven Hill. You know, William Heaven Hills Farm, they've sent off for the for the distillery license in Frankfort, Kentucky, our, our state capital. And it came back and they somebody had mistakenly put a space between heaven and hell. And as the stories, the family story goes, uh, they looked at it and said, oh, we need to change this. They called Frankfort and they said, we'll change it, but it's going to be a $25 refiling fee. And they said, well, we'll stay with this, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's, they kind of laugh about it because it is kind of funny. But, you know, they knew they were going to make bottled and bond bourbons. That was going to take four years. So it wasn't a burning plate issue to get this name switched. They could have had four years to do it. Um, bottled and bond is what, because 
it came out in 1897. So most of the bourbons in that that were sold before prohibition, that became known as the good stuff. It was under government supervision. It wasn't going to make you sick. It had these regulations. It was the first consumer protection legislation in the history of the United States. So that's what the consumer know, knew as the good stuff. All during prohibition, if, if uh, the only way to get a legal um, bottle of bourbon was through a doctor's prescription with the same rigid standards. Okay? And so after prohibition, that's what the consumer was kind of looking for. This was a just, you know, in, in the distiller's mind, that was the goal to come out with bottle and bottle. Mm-hmm. So over those four years, they, they, uh, they got the name Heaven Hill and they said, well, that sounds like a place. It's not done. Sound like a person. Then it sounds like a heavenly mm-hmm. place. Who wouldn't want bourbon from Heaven Hill distillery? Well, that kind of stuck. And so that was their first bottle and bond offering out of that distillery in 1939. So this kind of harkens back to that. Uh, we have many brands now that, that, uh, that we make and market from our distillery, but none with the name of the distillery on it. And as Bernie mentioned, there's sort of this uh, evolving and you know developing sort of broad consumer palette, what people are looking for in, in whiskey and in bourbon specifically. And, you know, I wonder too, Connor, is there some, you know, is there some benefit of being a distillery with a lot of experience in producing products like this that you can, and and obviously with, as you mentioned, the sort of uh, capacity that you have that you can, you know, produce a product at, at this quality level, at this price point, and, you know, make sure that it's not a, you know, it's not a one-off, right? You know, this is something that, that is a, a portion of the production. And I, my understanding is perhaps we'll, we'll continue to grow in production over time. For sure. I mean, yeah, the, the again, the, the fact that we have 1.9 million barrels aging and produce another 1,500 every day, it just, it, it gives us so much room to maneuver in the marketplace. And, you know, again, Heaven Hill has a long, long history of producing great whiskeys. And, you know, um, one of Bernie's lines, and sorry for stealing your thunder, Bernie, is you know our our products tend to be longer, stronger, better values. So compared to their competitive set, they're older. There's the longer, stronger, bottled at higher proof, and better value. So some of our products, we could you know if we were to, to pitch them at the same price point that some of our competitors do, none of us would be able to afford them. But you know mm. again. Our consumers have have stuck with us for 87 years because they know that they're going to get great whiskey at a, at a reasonable price. Now, of course, we're in the business of bourbon. We're not going to give it away, um, and especially you know, a <laughs> seven-year-old hundred proof. Uh, you know, that's you know, you, you're, you're going to pay what what it's worth. But again, compared to the competitive set, it's it's a it's a really reasonable price. And again, the the whiskey speaks for itself. It's just it's so delicious. Yeah, I actually want to ask about that too uh, for both of you. And, and Connor, we'll just start with you. What is your preferred way to to enjoy this specific bourbon? Generally speaking, with just a little bit of ice, you know, uh, on on okay. the rocks. You know, I've, I've got one of those gizmos that makes clear cubes. It's it's it's, oh, it's nice. fun to drink it that way. Uh, but also, I like it that way because the 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 ice melts very very slowly and very gently kind of dilutes the whiskey as you drink it. And it's just, it's, you can kind of really get into the layers and the nuance of the whiskey that way. Yeah. How about you, you Bernie? Is that your preferred method as well? Or do you, do you drink your uh, seven year bottle and bond a little differently? 
Well, I like it. I like I like to taste it neat. I also like it with either two small little cubes so it doesn't get too chilled down or like Connor said, one very large, large sphere or cube so that it melts slowly. Um, you know, this is a great bourbon to enjoy that seven years you don't want to, you know, I've tasted it in cocktails and it does make good cocktails. And if you, and if you decide it makes a great Manhattan or, or other drink at home, great. Or if you see it out and it's in a feature drink, it, it will add a lot to that cocktail. But there's a reason we use that you might want to consider drinking older aged bourbons like this uh, by itself or just with a little uh, water or a, or a cube is to enjoy what the uh, uh, the warehouse team and the distilling team there with Connor have done over seven years. You don't want to just cover all that up. <laughs> well, I now I feel bad for having mixed it into a cocktail or two. Uh, the bottle <laughs> that I was, at all. I was I've had given. many that way. And I will say that actually, you know, from my perspective as someone who has you know, a lot of bartending experience, one thing that I love about bottle and bond products, and I think this the seven year bottle and bond is no. Uh, exception is because of that combination of age and the the higher proof, the, the hundred proof, you really do carry the flavors of the whiskey through to the cocktail. I mean, you can, of course, create a cocktail that doesn't have very much whiskey in it, and then you might bury it under other things. But in not just the, the you know, not just a Manhattan or an old fashioned, but even, you know, other cocktails that might use um, a number of different ingredients, I felt like because I get a bottle, I like to play around with it. I've been really impressed at how how clearly the the flavor and the you know intensity of the bourbon comes through in those cocktails and and I think you know yes uh you know a fifty dollar bottle of bourbon for some people is going to be a, a sipper only but um you know it's nice to make yourself a nice a, a treat of a cocktail from time to time too That's for sure and when the, the when I drink a cocktail I want the whiskey to show up you know if it's yeah if it's got if it's an old fashioned it's got too much simple syrup then it's too sweet you know if it's got uh, too much vermouth in the Manhattan, then you can't taste the whiskey. But yeah, they, that's why a big seven-year-old hundred-proof whiskey is going to stand up for stand up for its rights. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit too, Bernie, about um, about availability. So for some of our listeners, finding a bottle might take a little bit of work. But can you talk a little bit about kind of the availability and maybe how people who might be interested in trying out the seven-year bottle and bond might be able to do so? Yeah, well, we're in we're in uh, thirteen markets right now. We're looking to expand those as our inventory of seven year old barrels uh, come to us, and we're able to do that. You know, that's something you just can't make go back in a time machine and make make today what you what you need. This could be in fifty one markets across the United States, with uh, with of course with the District of Columbia there. But right now, we are concentrating in those. And um, it is something that you can ask your your uh, local retailer. Do you have this product? It's always great to do that. It's my favorite way. Like you can research it and see where it is. But if you ask your retailer, then your retailer is going to ask their distributor partners and sales Salesforce. And then you would say, when you get that, I want to be on the list to get it when you get yeah. it into your <laughs> store. So, I mean, so it's sometimes best to shoot in the dark. And, uh, and and be that person to raise your hand to show your interest, because this is something that we uh, we do not anticipate this being an allocated product. We want this to be an everyday premium, you know, super premium product that's available uh, from this time forward. So that's why we're being selective. Our, our uh, you know, Max Shapira and Kate and Allen, our owners and 
uh, executive uh, chief executive and presidents of the company, they 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 want this to be an ongoing thing. But they say slow and sustainable growth. We don't have because we're family owned. We don't have to hit that number on Wall Street. So we want to make this make sense and not be frustrating for our consumers. Mm-hmm. We want to make it something that yeah, it, it might be a little hard to get because right now it's you know it's it, it, it's the thing. But we want this to be something that's ongoing that you can get all the time. Well, and I will say that I I appreciate the sentiment of, you know, not immediately creating something that people might get a taste of and never be able to find again. I I, I think that's a really noble and and admirable idea behind what is a, I think a really delicious bourbon that you know, like you said, could easily be pushed into that very you know unreachable both in terms of price and availability market, uh, which we know exists for bourbon. But I do think that. Um, you know, it's it's cool to see something that is uh, being put out there at this quality level uh, that, you know, people can have a reasonable uh, hope of getting to not just try, but put on their, their you know, bar cart, liquor shelf, whatever, uh, with some regularity. Because I agree that's nothing worse. I think all of us who love bourbon have experienced over the years, you know, you, you find a product, you like it, and then all of a sudden, no one, you can never get another bottle. That's, that is a bummer. Yes. Well, gentlemen, I really want to thank you for your time, and of course for for making this uh, bourbon a reality. Um, obviously, you know, not just the two of you, um, I assume, but uh, <laughs> a whole team there at Heaven Hill. Uh, it's been fun to taste, fun to talk about, and I uh, really appreciate getting to learn a lot more about uh, how this uh, product came to be. So, uh, Connor, Bernie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, Zach. This is great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.